I've just been thinking more and more about what it means to grow a business. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a misconception that to grow a business, it means just the number of staff that you have. But where I'm at the moment is just thinking about growth in terms of the projects that I'm working on, the clients that I'm working on, and still just managing that myself. I think there is a way to grow a business that way without scaling it in terms of the number of people that you've got on your team. Hey, welcome to Ladyland, a podcast by Lady Brains, where we chat to ambitious women about what it takes to become an overnight success. Huge spoiler alert, the overnight success does not exist. We're your hosts, Caitlin, Anna, and Maver. Now get comfy, fellow Lady Brains, and ride with us to Ladyland. Gemma Watts is the founder of Glow Journal, a brand focused on producing beautiful, educational and honest content for the beauty consumer. As a solopreneur, she wears many hats in her business. She writes content for her blog, she heads up Glow Journal Creative, an agency specialising in tone of voice development and content creation for beauty brands, and she hosts the Glow Journal podcast, interviewing some of the best in the beauty biz about what it takes to succeed in one of the most dynamic industries today. In this episode, Gemma opens up about how she got to where she is today, the risks she's taken along the way, and why, in business and in life, it's so important to know your worth. We hope you enjoy. When I was really young, I was painfully shy, which no one believes, and then my parents, like, threw me into dancing. They were like, oh, this will get her out of her shell, and it, like, got me a little bit too far out, but and what can you do? You know, as far as being an entrepreneur, if you can call it that, my first, like I would get pocket money by bringing mum and dad into the spare room and I would give them facials. Um, nice. And like that was how I earned my money. And like I'm an only child so everyone thinks I'm spoiled. But from as young as young gets, my parents were like, no, 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 you will work for money. So I've kind of always had it in the back of my head, like if you want something, there are steps that you have to take before you get there. So I think that's always kind of been ingrained in there. So we understand that, you know, you had a passion for writing from a quite a young mm. age. Can you tell us, did you always know that that's what you wanted to do with your life? Very much so. I I think I got into reading pretty early on and I feel like one kind of lends itself to the other. Mm. Like that's what I would do for fun is just write little short stories, crap ones, like they would all end with. And then I woke up, which, you know, as soon as you start writing properly, you realise you're not allowed to do that. But that was that was fun for me. I won a writing award. My parents reminded me of this the other day and I was like, all right, guys, I won a writing award for Victoria when I was like seven oh, or something. Wow. I don't know what I wrote. I have absolutely no recollection of this happening. But, yeah, I think I always knew I wanted to write. I didn't know what kind of writer I wanted to be. I definitely have never been a strong fiction writer, but I did take a unit of it once I finished school. But. I think when I left year 12, I knew I wanted to write, but I wasn't entirely sure which way I wanted to take it. I've always had an interest in fashion and in beauty, but I just, I spent a lot of time trying to hone my skills before pigeonholing myself. Mm. And how did you find yourself in that niche in fashion and beauty? So I finished year 12 and the first, my first preference was a TAFE course and everyone at school was like, but you're smart. Why would you go to TAFE? And I said, well, no. Because I want to hone my skills, I just don't think I can do that in a lecture theatre. So I wanted to do that in a classroom environment. So I did professional writing and editing. 
And that ended up being the best thing because everyone in the course, I was the baby. Everyone was much older. Most of them already had established writing careers. So their advice to me was you need to start working now because experience in media is going to mean so much more than a piece of paper. So I thought, okay, well, I have, I'm 18. I have absolutely nothing to show people if I'm applying for jobs or if I want to get an internship or even if I want to start pitching, they're going to start looking for old work. So I thought, okay, well, I'll just start a blog because that's, you know, the equivalent of self-publishing. Fashion is what I loved writing about at the time, not anymore. Um, So I just started a fashion blog, sent that out to people, and then a few publications got back to me and I would do contributing writing and bits and pieces. And then when I was 19, that's when I got the job at Couturing as a contributing fashion writer. And that was your first paid gig? Yes. So it wasn't paid at first, but I ended up staying there for, for about five years, worked my Mm. way up. Yeah. This is why people think I'm older because I was there from the age of 19. So they're like that Gemma, she's been doing this for yonks. Um, (laughs) So I started as a writer and then maybe probably three months later, they promoted me to assistant fashion editor and then fashion editor, maybe six months after I started, it was unpaid at first, then after a little while they brought on advertisers and then they launched another division of the business, which was um, digital marketing, which mm-hmm. wasn't my shtick, but I did it anyway because it was like exciting for me. But I was doing that at the same time as writing for L'Oreal. It's such a confusing like career trajectory because so much of it was happening simultaneously, but I did 2014, 15 at L'Oreal as a beauty writer, at Couturing as fashion editor and then finishing off my journalism degree because I finished my TAFE course and then moved over to journalism. So I didn't sleep for that period but worth it. And so you were freelancing essentially at that time, like working for the two? Yeah, kind of. I was technically for L'Oreal so they headhunted me but from the Paris office because the company structure is so confusing. They employed a digital agency in Paris to look after their advertorial platform. The Paris agency headhunted me because they wanted someone on the ground in Australia. They already had an Australian editor and they needed another contributing beauty writer. So I did the first year as a contributing writer. I think I was doing three articles a day but they were short form and then Mm. the second year I was their beauty editor. So it was a lot and it was being Paris time I could kind of do it overnight. (laughs) What was I thinking? What were you thinking? So you weren't sleeping. Mm. Were you like a sponge just – were you in that phase of like I need to learn as much as possible? I think I'm still in that phase mm. really. I, um, I've only just started saying no to things probably in the last two years but, I mean, I was still really young so I thought, you know what, working around the clock is fine and it was because it was during that time that I realised I much preferred – beauty, whether that's because my interests shifted or the industry changed, I don't know, but it Mm. did end up being the best thing. And so how did you sort of transition away from those two roles and a degree Mm. to building your own freelance business? So I finished university end of 2015. I had L'Oreal, which was a full-time wage. Couturing had the capacity to bring me on full-time. So I went with them because I'd been with them since I was 19. It wasn't working remote. I just thought this would be just made sense. But because the part of the business that was really flourishing was the digital marketing side, Mm -hmm. a lot of it was strategy, which is not me. 
I certainly pretended it was <laughs> just, you know, to, to save face, but I'm not a strategy girl. So I started picking up bits and pieces of freelance beauty writing work because I had loved doing that at L'Oreal and I felt like I sort of had a beauty itch to scratch. Mm. And then towards October 2016, I realised that's what I loved doing and I had enough freelance work built up that I could do that full time. My boyfriend told me six months before I left that, like, you can start your own business, you should be doing this. My parents saw I was miserable but I was like, no, no, I've just got to get there on Mm. my own. I had all that work built up and I was like, if I don't do it now, I'm just going to get too comfortable Mm. and I'm never going to do it. Where did the clients come from? Like where was that pipeline of work coming from, was it? I think most of it, I'm a bloody good networker. Mm -hmm. So I was going to and being young and having energy, I was just going to every party I was invited to and I would make sure I was saying hello to all of the right people and just making myself known. So a lot of it came through me just talking to people at parties and being like, oh, yeah, I'm doing this as well met the right people, then work started coming through referrals. It was only probably 18 months ago that I actually built a website for my business and all of that because I was just sort of sitting back and letting it happen and then I Mm. thought, you can't actually grow a business this Uh, way. This mm. is a terrible idea. And so you built Glow Journal, which is now, you know, you've actually Mm. um, taken that in a few different directions, which we'll get into. Mm. But at that point, you know, you were growing Word of mouth. Yes. How much has creating the website and actually marketing yourself mm. changed your business? It uh, Out of sight, especially because it was confusing to people and it still is because, as you say, Glow Journal has a few different tiers to it. So I think having different websites, having different social media platforms really helped in kind of just streamlining the way, every, the way I was running the business. I knew, okay, this client is a client of... Glow Journal Creative. This client is someone I'm collaborating with on glowjournal.com. So it just, it simplified things. Mm, it sounds like it helped to organize your thoughts as well. Very much <laughs> so, especially because everything up until that point had been so, everything happening all at once, being able to just sit down, take a breather, mm. focus, and really nut out what it is that I was doing in my business really helped. Yeah, nice. So can you tell us a bit about the structure of your business, how you came to that plan and what it's all about. So what happened when I left my job, I signed my first few clients pretty much the day that I left. Um, And then I spoke to a graphic designer and a web designer. At the time, it was just going to be gemkwatts.com and it was that for maybe six months. I just wanted the website to be a portfolio for my freelance work. So that was copywriting, photography, tone of voice development. And then my web designer said, well, it just kind of seems like a waste of space for your blog, for your website, sorry, to not have a blog functionality Mm -hmm. given that you're, you know, doing beauty articles. It's better for SEO, all of that very glamorous tech stuff. So I thought, yeah, okay, fair enough. I'll put a blog on there. That started to grow. And then after six months or so, I thought that's when I thought, okay, I need to make the blog separate from my copywriting portfolio. They need to be two different businesses. And also I want my name out of it because if I want to grow this business, it can't just be Gemma Watts. I can't have people writing under my name, especially because I developed a pretty distinct tone of voice. So I kind of pulled it back from being all about me, named it Glow Journal. And then that has helped with 
I guess kind of separating myself from the business and then I work with contractors so they aren't invoicing under GemmaWatts.com. Mm. So it all it took me, a, yeah, probably about six months to come to that realisation. But And was that just a lot of strategizing, thinking? Yeah. About, did you have someone help you with the strategy to come to that place? Because I know a lot of freelancers debate whether or not to go with their name or to come up with a business name. No, I did it all myself. It's funny. I know I just said I'm not a strategy person. I think with my personal brand, I mean, personal brand is so Mm. overused, but that's very much how I run things. Everything is, Glow Journal is my personal brand. That has to be cohesive with Gem K Watts. Glow Journal Creative has to be cohesive with the blog, the podcast. Everything has to be in line. As far as my personal brand, I'm very strategic. So I got there on my own. I think if I hadn't just straight away signed new clients, I probably would have done that from the outset, but it was all very rushed to begin with. And what else did you have to set up in the early days, you know, I guess to set yourself up for success? I was fortunate in that I already had freelance work built up. That's my advice to everyone now when they're like, you know, I want to start a passion project. I want to do this. I'm like, do it, but make sure you are set up financially before you, you know, run off and do this exciting thing. So I'm lucky that I had all that ready to go. Then I worked with a graphic designer and a web designer on the branding. I had a really clear idea of what I wanted. And then when I rebranded to Glow Journal, that shifted a little bit, but the crux of it was the same. So we didn't have to change too much because I was already freelancing. I already had my ABN set up. Mm-hmm. Like I was pretty much ready to go. It was a smooth transition. Yeah. It, it felt natural. And I think because everyone had been telling me for such a long time, you can do this. When I did eventually do it, I was like, oh, okay, they were right. Everything mm. sort of fell into place. Mm. How did you find in the early days, those suppliers like the graphic designer and mm. the web designer, like it's so hard to find good people. How did you find those people? One of my very best friends is a graphic designer and she's amazing, Ellie Patience, and then another friend of a She's now become a good friend, Claire Callender, did all my web stuff. So it wasn't too hard and they, um, because I was so specific about what I wanted, I just kind of handed over a mood board and was like, go nuts. Mm. So what could have been a very difficult, tedious process was pretty Mm. straightforward. And did you invest quite a bit of money in that at the beginning in setting up? Yeah, I mean, being friends, Ellie was like, oh, I'll give you mates rights, but I'm very big on no, this is just because someone's your friend, they are doing a job for you. So, you know, you spend money on all of these things, definitely worth it. Mm. Definitely, definitely worth it. I just didn't want to do things by halves which is why it's weird that I rushed in and just called it gemkwatts.com from the start, mm-hmm. but at mm-hmm. least the branding was really beautiful. The website was beautiful. Mm. Yeah. And I've and kept yeah. the same team the whole way through. So Yeah. Was the branding some of the best investment you've made or were there other good investments that you made in the business in those early days? I think the branding was a big one and I also think it's not an investment, but I think from the beginning I was pretty clear on the kind of clients that I wanted to work with because part of what I was frustrated with in my old role was that I came on as a fashion writer. I was doing a bit of beauty and I feel like I woke up one morning and I'm like, why am I writing the copy for a cafe or something hospitality related? So I didn't want to just start bringing on clients for clients' sake if they didn't feel 
on brand in inverted commas. So while that wasn't an investment money wise, I did probably talk myself out of income to start with, but that was a really good thing because now it's very clear that some brands are on brand for Glow Journal and some aren't. Mm. So I think because I had that in my head, that's made everything a lot easier two and a half years down the track. And what are some of those clients that you work with? You know, what's your niche? And can you give us some examples? So there's some that I'm not allowed to say because I ghostwrite a lot of ah. it. <laughs> so they think it's um, the client. But I do a lot of photography for Tony Bianco. I've done bits and pieces for Mecca Memo. I look after Jane Eyre Dale bit of environ skincare. I've got a beautiful client in Perth, Dr. Clara Hurst, who has a skin clinic. Most of it is beauty. There's another one in Melbourne, Document Skincare. It's all beauty except my Tony Bianco, which feels a little bit of fashion. Yeah. Still yeah. Bit. That's okay. Yeah. And it's still that's all photography, so it still is detail oriented. Yeah. Mm. As soon as they put people into the photo, I'm like, no, nah, I'm out. <laughs> Bring yeah. someone else in. <laughs> yeah. And how do you find those suppliers or freelancers that you work with Mm. on client work? When I am outsourcing bits and pieces, it's usually either another photographer to shoot content for glowjournal.com. I work with Maddie Real of Bitches Heaven and I've brought on different videographers. A lot of them I've known since I was still at Couturing. Mm. So they understand how I work how I like things to look. Um, I started working with a new videographer this year, a company called Cinema Tom, and they, I just found them online and people had recommended them to me because, like, aesthetic-wise, really similar branding, so it just felt like a natural fit. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of what I've done has just come through talking to the right people rather than just mm-hmm. kind of going in blind. Yeah, the networks are always so important, aren't Absolutely. they? So important. Yeah. Mm. Is that one of the reasons that you started the podcast as a vehicle mm. to kind of meet, you know, key people in the industry? Yeah, it wasn't why I started it. It has certainly helped because there's a number of brands that I've spoken mm. to who I'm now doing copy for, which is great. Amazing. Um, the reason I started it was because I was listening to podcasts coming from overseas like Breaking Beauty, Fat Mascara, full coverage, and I thought there's not really content like this coming out of Australia. Um, Mm. There's an amazing beauty podcast, Beauty Island, and that's talking about people's favourite products and the stories behind them, but there wasn't anything talking about the business side of beauty, and that's what's really interesting to me. So I I guess everything that I've ever done has just been identifying a gap and then slotting myself into it Mm. as, you know, evidenced by this, I love a chat. So it just felt like (laughs) I'm sure you guys can relate. (laughs) I just thought, why would I not be recording these? And again, my boyfriend said it to me six months before I did it, just in passing. Mm. He said, you should definitely start a podcast. You listen to podcasts all of the time. I'm not really hearing any Australian accents on there. Why are you not doing this? Mm. And I was like, no one wants to hear me. And then six months later I'm like, I have had the best idea. I'm going to start a podcast. And here we are. So he, the more I think about it, I'm like, is he the puppet master? Has he been pulling the strings this whole time? Maybe he has. I don't know. Maybe he's a carpenter behind Glow Journal. (laughs) (laughs) That's the secret. He likes to build things. Yes. Mm. How important do you think the podcast has been in terms of building awareness of Glow Journal beyond the platform and kind of deepening the engagement level with the people that follow you? 
It's hard to say because I don't know what would have happened without the podcast because it's been about six months now. It's definitely helped having a third, third, maybe fourth tier if you include Gem K Watts platform as mm-hmm. part of Glow Journal, but definitely having a distinct third tier. It's just grown the brand and, yeah, I guess it helps with visibility. Mm then I think, okay, is that because it's a podcast or is it because it's just a third tier? Hard to say, Mm. but I think it's definitely helped. And I think it's given people a better understanding of who I am. The podcast definitely isn't about me, but the fact that I do like talking to people about the business side of things has definitely helped given it a little bit more Mm. warmth as a platform because it's Mm. easy to lose that with beauty. I'd love to know more about the Glow Journal um, blogging side. So Mm. how have you managed to monetize that? At first it was just kind of little sponsored placements here and there. Since I I signed with with Talent Management end of last year, Chic in Sydney, and they are amazing. For years I was like, I have worked on the business side of things. I've booked the talent. I know how to quote. I know how to do these things. No, no, I didn't. (laughs) This is, it's times like that when you, and it's the same with bringing on a contractor. You need to have a team that are the best at everything that they do. And Mm. I needed to identify, okay, I'm actually not the best at this. And it's been super helpful because it means I'm not fielding all of these emails. I can focus on the copywriting business. So now when a brand contacts me and says, okay, we want to do a couple of Instagram posts. My management will come in and go, okay, well, here's some examples of longer form content that Gemma has written for glowjournal.com. Let's throw a shoot in there. Let's, we could make it a video series. So that has definitely helped. It's still working with the same clients that I love and already was working with, but it just gives me the opportunity to get a little bit more creative with it. Mm. Yeah, fantastic. I think those services are amazing. It's really changed the game in how freelancers connect with their clients and it makes pricing so much easier. Absolutely. Just having a few different, I mean, sellable skills makes me sound like I'm in a job interview, but I think just (laughs) having a number, I'm fortunate in that I, you know, I got my first proper camera when I was 16. So I know how to do that side of things. Obviously I'm a writer by trade. I'm emceeing a lot now. So there are a few different things that I can offer clients. And that's been really helpful because my Mm. fear would be if I was just doing my makeup and taking photos, where can that take you? Mm. So for me, it's been super valuable to Mm. be able to offer people a few different things. So you're a jack of many trades. Mm, master well, of none. Yeah. <laughs> jack of all masters of none. Say, yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> um, what does your day-to-day look like? Oh, this is such a wanky answer, but no two days are the same. Beauty is the constant all the time. The bulk of it is the copywriting business, but I do try to evenly divide up my time between Glow Journal Creative, glowjournal.com, and obviously the podcast. I say that, but the reality of it is the day before a podcast comes out, I'm up transcribing it until two o'clock in the morning. Um, but at, here, here. <laughs> yep, here. where possible, I do try to divide it up. And because I'm getting more emceeing work and, um, you know, collaborations and bits and pieces on my own account, mm. I have to factor that in as well. Even though there's always something different happening, it's always beauty at the core of it. Mm. 
that was one thing we didn't touch on was all the speaking work that you're yeah. doing. And you recently emceed Mecca Land, which is such an awesome achievement. I still can't believe it was the biggest pinch me. It was insane. Mm. Just, oh, I'm, yeah, so fortunate. But, God, I love public speaking. I'm such an ex- extrovert. Like, that's how I charge my batteries. So you were shy when you were younger. Where was yeah, the... Yeah, shy for, I mean, when I say, like, I was painfully shy, but I reckon I snapped out of that at about <laughs> six or seven. <laughs> okay. And no. then, but all through school, like, I was, I mean, we all had one. I'm, like, primary school captain, then went to high school, junior school captain, middle school captain, like, just did Loved all of it. it. Anything that allowed me to have a microphone in my hand and stand up in front of the school. I'm yeah. like, yeah, I'll do it. Obviously, like your days must be quite varied because mm. um, you have a lot going on. What yeah. is the best part about that for you? I've thought about this quite a bit. I think it's actually just communicating with my clients. It doesn't matter which part of the business that's on, but one of the reasons that I didn't do so well working in agency was because I like to be the point of contact. I don't like something being passed on to whether it's a sales manager and then that filtering down for the team that are producing the content because just so much can get lost in translation. Mm. Maybe it just comes back to be me being an extrovert, but I just love talking to my clients and working out what they want and just chatting to them about how their business is going. That for me is always the highlight, those relationships. Mm. So you haven't hired anyone to help you with the admin side of things? No, and I've I've thought about it because we're trying to buy a house. I'm in the position now where I'm like I would rather work 24 hours a day than have to deal with wages and all of that. Does that make me greedy? Possibly, but I also think that firstly I don't think I'd make a great manager. I've managed a team before and I'm way too micro. I want to work on my own skills before I start bringing people on. And then beyond that, I've just been thinking more and more about what it means to grow a business. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a misconception that to grow a business, it means just the number of staff that you have. But where I'm at at the moment, and this may change down the track, but where I'm at the moment is just thinking about growth in terms of the projects that I'm working on, the clients that I'm working on and still just managing that myself, I think there is a way to grow a business that way without scaling it in terms of the number of people that you've got on your team. Some people hear that and they're like, what? Don't you want to, you don't want an empire? But I just, where I'm at at the moment, I'm really happy with the way that things are going. And while I'm a forward thinker in terms of big picture stuff, I don't like to plan every kind of minute little detail. Like I'm going to start bringing people on at this time. And by this month, I'm going to have this many clients because I think it might work for other people. But for me, if I just have a singular focus, I will put the blinkers on and I'll kind of close myself off to things that are going on around me. And when I look at all of the great things that have happened in the last two and a half, three years, None of that was things that I'd planned. They were just opportunities that I had been working towards in that direction, but not that specific thing. Like Mechaland, for example, you know, it wasn't me turning up the office and saying, Mechaland, is it back on? I would like to host. It was just me picking up emceeing jobs, Mm. communicating with the Mecha team, letting them know that, you know, I love what they're doing, these sorts of things. So I don't like to be too singular. Oh, nice. It's interesting. I mean, you obviously have been very 
opportunistic is the wrong word because that has a negative connotation, but you've been opportunistic in terms of, you know, cultivating these opportunities, grabbing them when Mm -hmm. they've come along, the right ones. Mm -hmm. Definitely. But everything that you've done has been sort of heading towards this North Star. (laughs) But even if that's not clearly defined, do you have a really clear idea about what you want your brand to stand for and what Mm. opportunities are the right ones? Because, again, it is big picture and I have – it comes back to what we were talking about earlier. I know – I want people to be able to look at things and go, okay, that would be on brand for Glow Journal. I want everything to be very, very clear so that every project that I take on is taking me to that kind of – that point. Mm. And now you've started saying no to yes. certain projects. Yeah, I think for the first year of running the business, it wasn't so much the clients that I was working with because I was I've been working with amazing clients from day 1 because I as mentioned, I kind of knew what was on brand and what wasn't. But there were clients that I said I will manage your social media. Managing social media involves a lot of strategy and marketing is a really big part of it which is not my strong suit in the slightest, but for the sake of, you know, having a little bit of extra cash money, I'm like, I can do that. That's, I mean, I can do the photography. I can write the captions. The rest of it will just, that'll be pretty easy. No, not the case. And I, I'm, I did a fine job. I wasn't fired or anything, but it just got to a point where I was like, I hate doing this. So now I don't offer that as a service. If a brand wants me to look after their social media content, great. Package up your strategy, tie it up in a little bow, hand it to me. I'll put some copy or some photos in there, whatever it is you've employed me to do, and then I will hand that back to you in the same nice little parcel. I mean, I think that's yeah, yeah. it's such a good way to conduct business because when you're doing something that doesn't play to your strengths it's Mm. fucking stressful absolutely it is stressful and I think that's part of the journey as a freelancer Mm. or consultant is learning figuring out what you love to do and what you're good at it's that intersection isn't it it's self-awareness and I'm very self-aware as a human being so then that has come across to business as well and I think that has been a really really useful thing while I was saying yes to things at the start strategy wasn't my strong suit. I don't regret it though because it did help get my name out there a bit but I'm just glad that I did have the self-awareness. Probably 18 months ago I stopped doing any strategy work and the business has just grown and grown from there. It's all self-awareness. What's the biggest risk that you've ever taken or kind of the bravest thing that you've done in business? Leaving my job. Leaving my job. Even though I had freelance work built up, the joys of self-employment is that that can blow up in your face at any moment, touch wood. But I'm thinking, okay, it's been two and a half years and I haven't failed spectacularly. So we might be safe currently. But I think just leaving my job and I think as well, I mean, it sounds really up myself, but I think that was a super brave thing of me to do because I was 24 when I started my own business. I had been with that company from the age of 19 and that was kind of all I knew aside from L'Oreal and all of my L'Oreal work had been remote. So it was a big thing to suddenly go, okay, I'm running the show now. So it was a risk, but absolutely the best thing I've ever done. What have been some of the best things about working for yourself? The freedom, the freedom to say no. I'm finding that to be increasingly satisfying. And also 
again, it's my favourite thing about working for myself is just meeting people. Mm. So, and when you work in agency, which so many people are so good at, it's not for me. You don't get to go to all of the meetings and you aren't always the person that's pitching, but that that is all me now. So I'm meeting new people all of the time, doing the podcast. I couldn't really do that because a lot of it is during the day. So I'm setting my own hours. Yeah, I think just freedom is the big one. Mm. And what about the flip side? What's one of the hardest things? Switching off. Switching off is very difficult, particularly working in digital. I've become better. I'm very much no phones at the dinner table. And I, when I'm with my friends, I'm very present. That's why you don't see any like friends, family or boyfriend on my Instagram. People think I'm just a hermit, but that's because I am not on my phone when I'm with them. But what I struggle with is in the back of my head is like, oh, I think there's an email there that I haven't replied to. We went on holiday last month for the first time since 2015 and it took me about three days to actually relax because I just wanted to get on emails and Chris was like, if you work, I'm throwing your computer in the ocean and fair enough. (laughs) So I think that's, yeah, that's definitely where I struggle. But I'm getting there, working on it. Yeah, work in progress. Mm. (laughs) What is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Oh, I've received a lot of good advice. Off the top of my head, I would say to know your worth and that's not just in business, that's being aware of how much you're putting into relationships and what you are getting back. I think that is not underselling yourself to clients, which I definitely did. I would underquote because I thought this would be perfect. Um, You know, knowing your worth allows you to say no to things. I think that's the big one. And I think when you start your own business, it's very easy to just say, yes, 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 yes. And I'll do this for this rate because you're like, well, I'm new. That's This is fine. I'll do it for free. But I think the more self-aware, I keep coming, bringing mm. back to self-awareness, mm. but I just think knowing your worth mm. as a business person, as a human being is so important. How did you know in the early days where to pitch yourself in terms of your rate? I was lucky because coming from agency, I'd booked people before. So I was just sort of looking, okay, this is what X, Y, and Z are charging mm. with their following this is where I fit into that gap. Mm -hmm. I was still grossly underquoting though and it wasn't until Mm. I had management. For example, I love emceeing. So I'd be like, oh, I'll do it for free. Not literally for free but, you know, throw me a gold coin and a Kit Kat and I'm like, oh, a microphone. Mm. And my manager's (laughs) in the background now like, no, 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 she won't. So I still struggled with it because you don't want to come across as arrogant but I was fortunate in that I did have a bit of background in Mm -hmm. it so it wasn't like I was just plucking a number out of thin air and going, oh, let's see what they say yes to. Yeah. And is there any other advice as a freelancer, Mm. as a podcast host, as a blogger that you would offer to other women that are wanting to do something similar that, you know, to you? I would say do it, but do it carefully. Make sure you are financially ready to go. I was speaking to Elle Ferguson about this a few weeks ago and she said, we're so lucky that we live in this time where we can start a business and we can be creative and go all in. 
but I think it's very easy to get carried away. So my advice would be really think about what you're doing, have some income saved up because money is a thing that we need to survive. (laughs) So yeah, just make sure all of your ducks are in a row. And I don't think we hear that often enough. I think we hear so much of follow your dreams, do this. Yeah, follow your dreams, but make sure you've got something in the bank in case things don't work out as you'd hoped. Find a niche, yeah. particularly with digital, particularly with beauty, even just beauty as its own little sphere is so oversaturated. So mm-hmm. if you want to go down the blogging path, the influencer path, have a niche. That niche could just be your voice or your unique opinions, but definitely don't go into it trying to emulate what someone else has already created. The same goes for starting a business. There are so many incredible copywriters, even just in Melbourne. So make sure, hypothetically, if that's what you want to do, what's your point of difference? Be very, again, self-aware, just to make sure you are going into it, knowing where your point of difference Mm. is, find a niche. Do you feel like you have had to kind of innovate in some way to remain unique? Because as you said, there are so many different players coming into the beauty space, whether it be product, whatever it might be. Have you had to evolve? Very much so. And I think, I think for me, evolving has been less about aesthetics or a tone of voice. Mm. It's been about the jobs that I'm taking on. So I think I've had to evolve in that way. People know now, okay, she does copywriting, photography, tone of voice. So while I haven't evolved the tone of voice, I've evolved the business in that that's what I offer. I'm not going to delve into other things. So I think evolving comes in a few different Mm. forms. Mm -hmm. We'd just like to wrap up with a few final questions, if mm, that's okay. Of course. Imagine if I said no. Oh, <laughs> Please no, don't say no. not okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's not okay. Uh, what makes you happy? The relationships that I have with my partner, my friends, my family, my business relationships, being an extrovert, that is where I get my energy from and I am so proud of the group of people that I surround myself with. That's what makes me happiest. And who inspires you? Oh, God, so, so many people. My parents are amazing. My partner, I mean, he probably doesn't want me talking about this. He went through a really massive career change about 18 months ago, so we were kind of going through that at a really similar time. He's 28 now, so it was a really big step for him. He inspires me and all of my girlfriends. I'm, I'm such a girl's girl. And the girls that I've got in my life are just amazing and all of them are just thriving in what they're doing and they, you know, they keep me up and about. Oh, what a nice shout-out. I love that. (laughs) And what's next for you and what's next for Glow Journal? In the short term, my next sort of focus is Vogue Codes. I don't know when this is coming out, so that may have happened already but oh okay so that's what's next is phone codes which is another pinch me because one of my girlfriends reminded me a few years ago there was a tiny photo in Vogue Australia from one of the fashion week shows and you can see the tiniest little fleck of Gemma Watts in there (laughs) and we all took photos of it and I'm like I'm in Vogue this it's happening and now like they just did a profile on me so it's like it's 
It's massive. It's like an out-of-body experience. I still I got a bit teary and I'm so not mm. emotional. I'm a robot and I haven't fully mastered like the full spectrum of human emotions. So that was huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in the long term, there is a bit happening for Jem K. Watts, talking about her as though she's not she is she. Is she? <laughs> uh, and there is a bit happening for the podcast, but again. I don't like to um, pick a spot too far away mm. on the horizon. Um, all of it is just kind of in the the next couple of months. Oh, so no exciting mm. times. There might be a um, bit of a something podcast first birthday something. Thanks for listening. Please be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on Instagram, lady.brains, and head over to ladybrains.com.au to find out more about our events and other cool things that are happening.